Welcome, welcome. Hey, you guys, my name's Andrew, one of the pastors, Riverbend, and we're just just absolutely thrilled you made it. Um, we are going to launch into a teaching from the scriptures, which is what we often do. Actually, every time we have a chance to get a gather, we do that. We believe that the word of God is for us today. We have got a lot to learn from him, obviously, and so we're, we're going to get into it. But uh, before we do, I just have a couple of really quick announcements. The first one is um, next week, or this upcoming week, Wednesday, the 23rd at 6.30 at Cavista, we have the uh, Alpha Launch Party, and I'm so excited about this. Put your hands together if you're excited about it. It is going to be so, so great, you guys. Alpha, if you're new or if you haven't heard is actually just one of the ways that we invite people into the kingdom of God. And it happens over 10 weeks of dinner conversations about life, faith, and meaning. So if you have people in your circles of influence, people who don't yet follow Jesus, and you don't think it would be quite appropriate to invite them here because we're getting into like the nitty-gritty of the scriptures or whatever, and maybe that's just not something that you think they would be comfortable with, but you know that they have questions about faith like all of us do, um, invite them to Alpha. Alpha is this phenomenal way to sort of introduce people to Jesus over time, uh, over dinner conversation. It is absolutely wonderful. So this week at Cavista, Wednesday, 6.30, come to the launch party. Anyone and everyone is invited. Bring a friend. We're going to have uh, Bonta there, which is pretty awesome. So a little bit of ice cream and coffee, and it's just going to be a great, great time. So join us there this upcoming Wednesday. And then the second thing, is that, um, you know, we, uh, I've gotten a lot of questions about winter gatherings and, hey, what's going to happen, you know, in the months to come when will the weather shifts and we can't gather outside. And uh, stay tuned on that. We have an announcement coming next week, so please be sure to be here next week because we're going to go into what we really believe God is sort of inviting us into next, and we're super excited about it. I'm sure you're going to be excited about it too. So next week, make sure to be here because we're going to get into some of those details. Okay. Um, and also next week, we're going to be uh, going through or restarting, if you will, our little series that we've been in, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, at the beginning of the year, prior to COVID hitting, we went through the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's one of my favorite books in the whole New Testament. And then since COVID and everything else that's been going on in the world, we really have taken a pause on a lot of that and just sort of been responding, if you will, to the many things that are going on in the world around us. And how does Jesus see our current situation? What is the scripture have to say about all this. And uh, so that's what we've been up to. Um, and I have one final teaching for you uh, on just sort of responding to what's happening into the world around us. And then starting next week, we'll be back into the book of Ephesians, starting in chapter four, verse one, which is a really rad, rad passage, by the way. Okay, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I just want to say thank you so much for my friends, these people who are gathered here with me. And there's literally no other place that we would rather be. We could be anywhere on earth right now, but we've chosen to be right here. And the reason for that is because we want to meet with you. We want to grow in our discipleship to you. We want to hear your voice. We want to follow you with our whole heart. Not be divided and pulled in many directions, but we just want to sincerely from our hearts learn your word and follow after you. And so, God, we just pray that this would be a time, this, this hour that we have left together. We pray that it would be really significant because I, I don't believe that hearing from you could be insignificant. But sometimes Sundays run together and things kind of come and go. But for us, for right now, we're giving you our full and undivided attention and we ask that you would, you would move us, God and that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you guys. So um, this, uh, this morning, I got a text from one of my good friends, and um, he sent me this article, and I'm try trying to find it really fast because it was, like, super, super appropriate. <laughs> um, it's this article by USA Today. Here it is. Uh, COVID. This is the title of the article. COVID. Hurricanes, wildfires, politics. 2020 is an American nightmare that is wearing us out. And then the first line is, it's just too much. It's just too much. And I don't know if you guys feel a lot the same, but with everything going on in the world around us, I have been sort of receiving a lot of questions about whether or not we're living at the end of the world. 
This is a sincere question that a lot of us are asking right now. In fact, uh, just, just the other day, I was at Cavista, which is a good spot to grab coffee and to meet with folks and all of that. But I was at Cavista this week, and I walked in out of the smoke. It was super, super smoky. And um, I like bumped into this woman that I had never met before. Uh, but she like heard me talking or heard from somebody that was a pastor. And so she came up to me with a really sort of concerned look on her face. And she said to me, like, what are these fires about? Is God punishing us? Is God punishing us with these fires? Is that what, <laughs> what's going on? And instantly my heart just broke for her. And uh, we talked for a bit. And the more that we talked, I was able to sort of uncover that she was connecting all of the world's turmoil right now, uh, which there is a lot of it, with the great tribulation depicted in the book of Revelation. Right? And this is what captured her imagination, and she was gripped by fear. Understandably, she was, she was full of fear because she had this concept in her head that certainly th- this means that God is, God is after us, and he's, he's punishing us. So here's how I left that conversation. I, I left that conversation personally just with a lot of compassion in my heart for her, and, and I, I really, really mean that because she had been taught to be afraid about what's coming at the end of the story, at the end of the age. And unfortunately, this is not an isolated story. In fact, I know many, many people who even as kids sometimes have been coerced into trusting Jesus because, you know, at the end of the story, it gets very scary, so you better trust. In fact, I was just talking with Brooke, one of our pastors here at Riverbend, and he said that was his story. Age five, sort of being put in front of this, this stuff, uh, you know, some apocalyptic images um, that are sort of biblically based, but in some cases not so much. And he was coerced into saying, hey, you don't want to experience all of the evil. You don't want to experience all of that. So if you trust in Jesus, good news, you're, you're going to be okay. And um, maybe I'm speaking to some of you who've been through a similar experience. And, uh, and so I've been praying for you and I've been thinking about you a lot, actually, and how you might be interpreting some of the current events that are going on in the world around us. And you're wondering, well, how does any of this correlate or connect with the end of the world as we know it from the biblical vision? Uh, and I would understand that, actually. Because the reality is that, that, that right now it is kind of scary. And these fires the past couple of weeks have been devastating. And, 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 and uh, there's a lot that needs to be done to c- take care of those who are impacted by those fires, actually. But I think a lot of our fear and confusion, and this is the reason why I chose to um, speak on this today, I think a lot of our fear and confusion about the end of the world has more to do with our misunderstandings of the Bible and how it's been sort of unfairly used throughout the last couple centuries to scare people into the kingdom of God. And um, I'm of the firm conviction that the Bible actually isn't the problem. Uh, it's not the scripture's vision, I don't think, to... Uh, to scare you into accepting Jesus. And I think a lot of the biblical images that we sort of connect to, uh, you know, end times and everything else has really good explanation that we're going to talk about a little bit today. I hope, hope that's okay. And also to talk about really what the vision from the scriptures is that we're supposed to, if it's not the scary images of things that are falling apart around us, what is it that we're supposed to be focused on when it comes to the passing of this current age and the entrance into the following one? So um, how are you guys doing with that? You guys feel good about that? Okay, there's a handful of us that are in still. That's great. Well, if I've lost you already, come back, because I promise we're getting into the good stuff here. The scripture is super, super compelling. Okay, so um, our time is short, and, um, and this topic is pretty complex. So what I want to do is just show you a short video from the Bible Project. And the Bible Project is this group out of Portland that puts together fantastic videos and other resources to help us think about the scripture in a really helpful and very, very biblical way. And they did in five minutes what would take me about an hour to do. So in the interest of time, uh, I, we have a video that we're going to play for you, and then we'll come back, and then we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1 together. Okay, here's that video. All right, yeah, that's pretty good, yeah? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's helpful. Isn't that a helpful way to, new lens to perhaps see the apocaly- apocalyptic literature in the scripture? Okay, now with that, now let's, um, so now let's go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I just want to read a couple of verses. 
the revelation or the apocalypsis or the revealing or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture says. That's what the scripture says. The revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things that, which must soon take place. All right, let's stop there for a second. Okay, so what we have here in the first four words of this letter, this book, that is called the Revelation, which a lot of us have all kinds of sort of history with, some of it very positive, others of us have a sort of a negative history, I guess you could say, with, with the book of Revelation. But from the first four words, is this a predictive, detailed forecast about the end of the world? No, it's not. It is a revelation or the revealing or the unveiling about Jesus. It's about who Jesus is. There's And, and check this out. There's all kinds of layers to this book and there's lots of images and symbols that are based on literary design features like we're just talking about from the rest of the bible and they're complex and kind of jarring at times absolutely like pg-13 at best Um, but the first four words tell us that this is a profound and dramatic unveiling about jesus as the true king of the universe Right, so that's primarily what this book is about. So the first reason why you would read the book of Revelation then is just so that you could know Jesus, that you can know him better. And I know that this is probably a simple observation to many of us, and that's okay that it is that, but it's super important that we don't twist the meaning of Scripture to be about like our questions about the end of the world. We need to first look at it from the intention of the author, what, what did the Holy Spirit through the pen of John have in mind when he penned the words of Revelation? And from what we see from the first couple of verses, it tells us exactly what his intention is. It is to reveal who Jesus is. What is he like? What is his character? So um, uh, I just want to give you an overview today of some of these things that emerge in Revelation um, and the depiction of Jesus from this book. So from what I can tell, there's about four. And if you're taking notes, go ahead and write these down. The four are this. Number one, Jesus is the faithful witness. He's the faithful witness who remained true despite tribulation. Number two, he's the present one who walks among the communities of his followers, speaking words of comfort and challenge through the Spirit. Number three, Jesus is the lamb who was slain and now reigns with the Father in heaven, sharing only with the Father in his devotion and his worship. And then number four, he is the coming one, the one who will bring God's purpose to fulfillment and reign with God among the people of God in the new heaven and in the new earth. Right. So these are the four primary unveilings or revealings, revelations about Jesus in this book, right? This is the true substance of Revelation. Now, there is plenty more in Revelation, okay? And we don't have nearly enough time to get into that today. But this is sort of the primary and centering vision of Revelation, which is all this drawn-out story, or excuse me, drawn-out vision about Jesus. This is who he is and what he's like. Okay, so now let's get into those, those four images or those four unveilings as we sort of work through some key passages in the book. The first one is from ver- uh, chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. Uh, you can flip there if you would like, or if you would like, you can just look at the, on the screen behind me. Okay, so this is... Um, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, okay? The firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming on the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So this is the first Uh, if you will, unveiling of Jesus from the book of Revelation. And this is meant to 
give uh, further description about the rest of the images and visions and symbols in this book. So um, from what we, what we learned from this first unveiling is that, again, it's this, the faithful witness who is Jesus. So this is, again, picking up on a much larger biblical design feature that is depicting Jesus as the key, really the key to the past, present, and future. Remember, um, that it's repeated there a couple times, who was and who is and who is to come. So Jesus is meant to be seen as the key to the future of the whole story. So if you remember all the way back in the opening pages of the Bible, God promises to redeem the world uh, by saving us from ourselves and defeating evil once and for all. And the whole biblical story is uh, then continued to be filled with these maybe heroes, might be heroes, right? All these characters who end up falling up short. You've got Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and a whole bunch of others who show a lot of promise that they might be this one who is able to do exactly what God promised, to redeem us from evil, save us from evil, from, uh, from the grips of evil, and rescue us to the kingdom of God. But ultimately, they have been corrupted by evil themselves. So if they've been corrupted by evil or sort of unable to bring about God's redemption uh, in the way that the only the Messiah can. And so we're sort of left to continue waiting for the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the promised one, to use uh, appropriate the b- biblical language there. And he's going to be the one who ultimately has power to overcome evil with good. And of course, if you've read the stories of the Gospels, you know that the, the scripture depicts Jesus as the Messiah, the, the, the promised one. And now what, uh, what Revelation is doing is, is wanting us to call back to mind that Jesus is this, this Messiah, this, this faithful one. And then although he was faced with the same hardship, the same tribulation, the same temptation as any of us in a culture and in a time where there was a lot of evil and a lot of oppression and a lot of temptation, Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, he emerges through all of that tribulation as faithful. And other biblical words for this are, are holy and pure and righteous and all of that. So this, you guys, is who Jesus is. And I hope that if you're, 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 you're catching this, that this is our uh, full picture of Jesus. And it's a central theme as the apocalypsis, the revelation unfolds over these 22 chapters, that although the day is dark, although the day is dark, Jesus is powerful to resist evil and emerges victorious over the darkness. And because of that, he is worthy. This is another word that you see happening all over uh, the apocalypsis. Worthy, worthy, worthy. And no one was worthy to open the scrolls, Revelation chapter 5. And then Jesus comes along who is worthy because he has been faithful. So he's worthy to um, bring about God's plan of ultimate redemption and consummate the kingdom because he has been found faithful. Therefore, he is worthy. So this is powerful because Revelation was written during this really crazy time, very corrupt society, oppressive regime in Rome. And darkness uh, at the time felt way more real than the light. And that might sound familiar or feel familiar to your experience today. So this unveiling is actually meant to bring hope and comfort to people who are in upheaval under corrupt power. Let me repeat that. This unveiling is meant to bring hope and comfort to the people of God in upheaval under corrupt power. And so this is uh, one of the beautiful things about the scripture is that there is um, no sanitizing of the scripture. The scripture has some really heavy, deep, gnarly stuff in it, right? And that's what Revelation has a lot of. But at the same time, laced in between those stories of brokenness and evil, taking, uh, like having its day on the earth, there is this beautiful depiction of Jesus as the faithful witness, the one who's able to overcome and who is completely and totally worthy. Amen. Okay, the second unveiling of Jesus in Revelation is that he is the present one, the present one. So um, chapters two and three of Revelation sort of depict this, this Jesus, they unveil this Jesus as being present. Chapters uh, two, one through three, let me just read a couple verses for you. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. 
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who've claimed to be apostles but are not, and you have found them to be false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I love that scripture, by the way, just to the side. That may be for some of us to not grow weary in doing the good things that God has called us to. And um, hopefully, if you've been around the church very long, you're sort of familiar with these couple of chapters. We sort of know what to do with these in one way or another, unlike the rest of the book. So um, chances are, if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you're familiar with this letter to the church at Ephesus. The revealed Jesus uh, speaks through John to the seven churches at the time, all across Asia Minor, and he speaks love, and he speaks appreciation, and he speaks affirmation, and comfort and instruction and also challenge and correction and all of that. But the point is, is that he is present. He is walking amongst, in a manner of speaking, walking amongst the communities of faith across Asia Minor in this time period. And he's speaking over them love and blessing and grace. And he is uh, empowering them by his spirit. And then he's also, of course, offering challenge as well. Again, so this is another one that sort of picks up on the larger biblical theme of God's presence with his people. This, this sort of thing uh, about Jesus hopefully does not strike you as a surprise. Maybe seeing it in Revelation strikes you as a surprise, but the reality is that this is who God has uh, proclaimed himself to be and declared himself to be all throughout the biblical narrative. Um, that Jesus is with his people. In fact, Jesus, right before his ascension, he says, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. So Jesus talked about end times too. It's so weird. I was thinking about this as I was sort of getting ready, that um, if you were to pull Christians nationwide about the content of this book, Revelation, and then what leads to all of our um, sort of fears about the end of the world and all of that, if you were to pull Christians about the content of Revelation, the top few answers would include words like, uh, like antichrist or rapture, which if you're completely unfamiliar with those terms, it's actually completely okay. The reason why is because those words are not found in the book. They're not in here. And yet they seem to be all we want to talk about when we're talking about the end of the age. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, over the last couple hundred years of church history, who sort of written those themes into the story of Revelation, but it's not actually there. You know what is? All throughout the pages of Revelation, it's about the unveiling of Jesus as king, as the true king, and his goodness. All throughout the book, the faithful, worthy witness who offers his presence, strength, and power, and encouragement, and hope to his people who are living in a time of profound darkness and crisis. And that is the revelation that we have of Jesus. And he's here in love. He's representing himself in love to his people. And he's giving us warnings, right? There's a lot of warnings too. And he's warning us in love, watch out, be aware, be prepared. Don't get caught without having been prepared. And he's, of course, talking about judgment as well. And that is a portion of uh, what Revelation is all about. And I don't know if you caught this line from Tim Mackey, but we even sometimes twist up the idea of judgment in the Bible. Here's what Tim Mackey said in the video, if you didn't catch it. He said, God's judgment in Revelation is a time when humans release so much death and violence into the world that God hands them over to their own self-destruction. It's like a reversal of creation in Genesis 1. And God allows the world and humans to sink back into darkness and disorder. So this is how we're sort of meant to see the biblical concept of, of, of judgment. Not that God ever willed that any of this judgment would come. It's not that this was not God's plan A, but what ended up happening because all of the evil that entered into the world uh, judgment in the language of Revelation is this time when God hands us over to our own sort of self-destruction. But two things, there's always hope. There's always hope because God is with us. God is with us. He's never left our side. That is his promise that if you hear anything tonight, I just pray that you would hear that, that he is with you. And second, that judgment isn't the end. Okay, Jesus talks about judgment. He actually, there's some apocalyptic literature actually in the gospels themselves, mainly 
Matthew and Mark, Ma- uh, Matthew 24 and, and, and Mark 13. And Jesus actually gets into this, the end of the age, if you will. And because, uh, and this is what he has to say, he, he talks about uh, a, lot of, a lot of different things about wars and about natural disasters and things like this. And then he says this, and these are only the birth pains. And these are only the birth pains. And because we have a certain way of viewing apocalyptic, the way that we read that is like, oh no, this is only the beginning to all of the destruction and all of that. But hold on a minute, because that's not actually what birth pains represent. That's not the image that they're meant to invoke. Birth pains are the, like, the great stress and the incredible agony not speaking from personal experience, obviously. But it's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the great agony that comes with giving birth that's immediately followed by new birth. So there's this great excruciating pain, but right on the heels of that is a brand new beginning. So all of the sort of intense, fiery symbols of rep- revelation in, from Jesus' perspective, which I'm going to go for on this one, They represent the upheaval that we're experiencing in the world around us as a dawning of a new era. This is just the birth pains. It's not actually, we're not meant to live in fear of them. We're actually meant to celebrate and actually pray, Lord, come quickly, because we long for the dawning of the new era, the new creation when everything is as it should be. This is actually really good news. This is good news. Revelation is filled with good news about what Jesus intends to do to bring the world to rights. Okay. Um, uh, this leads us, of course, to the third unveil. How are you guys doing? You guys doing okay? I haven't lost you yet? Still with me. Awesome. Okay, there's good biblical stuff left to go here. Okay, so hang with me. Um, the third unveiling of Jesus in Revelation is that he was the Lamb who was slain, the lamb who was slain. And this is good because um, we've been too focused trying to see things like um, rapture and antichrist in Revelation. We've been trying to read our sort of modern conceptions of what Revelation should be about. We've been missing the real themes. You see, we've been focusing on the wrong things, so we've been missing the actual themes. Are you following? And this is a problem because the, the revelation is filled with these actually really wonderful, beautiful themes that we actually should be paying a lot of attention to. And, um, and, and they're this, they're that, that um, uh, these themes of, 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 of witness and of throne and of the lamb. So these, these are the three most common words in the book of Revelation. As, it's not rapture. It's not even in there once. It's the idea of being the faithful witness. It's the idea of the throne of God. It's the idea of the lamb. But these are the prevailing themes throughout the book. In chapter 4, we're introduced to the throne of God. Okay? And that's, this, is what, this is what John sees. He's, he sees the throne of God, and it's glorious. And there's creatures everywhere, and there's a heavenly host, and there's uh, people of God who are sort of encircling the throne, and they're all shouting praises, holy, 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 and all of that. And God is on his throne. But then in chapter 5, we get more detail. We get more detail about who this God is on the throne and what he's like and what he looks like and what the symbols represent. And then we also get a view of how he's reigning. So we get more detail about who God is and who the God on the throne is. And we get uh, a lot more about how he chooses to reign, which, spoiler alert, it's not like any other king in the universe. And uh, to tell you what I mean, look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Again, this is because John can tell that, that there's no one who's worthy to open the scrolls. This is essentially like a message from God that no one can read. And the reason why no one can read it is because no one's worthy. And this is what the elder says, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah... The root of David has triumphed and he is able or worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain and standing at the center of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. Okay, so deeply symbolic imagery here and super fun to get into all of the complexities of it. We don't have time for that, but I will just say this. Um, 
there is a really great scholar on the book of Revelation called Michael Gorman, and he calls this the most mind-wrenching reversal in all of literature. So essentially what's happening here, if you didn't catch it, is John does a double take. He does a double take. He, see, he, he looks, and there's the Lion of Judah. And the Lion of Judah is this uh, symbol that represents majestic, unmatched power, right? It's easy for us to envision uh, a symbol with a lion ruling with power. Oh, wait, hold up, double take. It's not that. It's a lamb who was slain standing at the center of the throne. A lamb that was slain standing at the center of the throne. This is the most mind-rensing reversal in all of literature. This is a symbol uh, that represents meekness and sacrifice for the sake of the world. In other words, we get a Christological view of God on his throne. How God intends to reign, how God reigns, is not Uh, is, is not the way that other kings would choose to reign. The way that God reigns, the way that our God reigns is by, is like through self-giving love and sacrificing his life for the sake of the world. This is the hope that we have. This is incredible. Again, incredible. And there he is. He's standing on the throne, the true king of the world, having claimed a victory over darkness. So the victory is won, not, (laughs) actually the victory is won through the blood of the lamb. Great power that overcame evil didn't win because of violent overthrow. The only way, especially back in the first century, but even today, the only way to sort of imagine a shift of power in the world empire structure is to envision great war. And yet what we have here is a depiction of God. He says, actually, the shift of power happens through this self-giving love. I'm turning the whole world upside down through self-giving love and Uh, my meekness. This is powerful. This is, uh, in a sort of a cheesy way that I heard one scholar put it, was this is lamb power. This is lamb power. It changes the world. And by the way, we're meant to have that same power. We're meant to have that same power. Let me just like make it extremely clear. We're meant to have that same power. But our issue with that power is that we try and access that power our own way And when Jesus asks us to follow him, when the father tells us to follow the lamb, we're like, that's cool. I don't know if I want to do the self-giving love part of it, but I definitely want the power part of it. Does that make sense? But guess what? He's the one on the throne. He's the one making the invitation. So he's the one who has authority. We're the ones who are meant to submit and to follow him. And so if we want the power that we were intended to live from, that's power to be transformed. That's power to see great things happen. Jesus promised that great things would happen after he ascended, that we would do even greater things than him, which is astounding to me that Jesus would ever say that, but he did. And we want access to that, and we love the idea of that, but we don't always want to take the other half of that coin, the self-giving love's part. And so that's what we need. That was just kind of to the side. But anyways, fourth and final uh, uh picture or unveiling of of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Thanks for hanging in there. You guys have been doing good. But I, I, as you can probably tell, I nerd out on this stuff. I enjoy it. Um, And I think this leads us to a really beautiful conclusion. The fourth unveiling of Jesus is the coming one or the returning one. The returning one. He's the faithful witness. He's the present one. He's the lamb who was slain and he is the coming one. Chapter 21 of Revelation. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Literally, word for word from Genesis 1-1, now Revelation 21-1, just with a few words added in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them 
and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things have passed away. And I think this is what you and I are longing for. I think this is what we're longing for. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said, it is done. <laughs> I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life who will bring God's purposes to fulfillment and reign with God among the people of God in the new heaven and earth. In other words, you and I are the bride of Jesus in that we are united completely with him. And in the new heaven and earth, we are invited to reign with him and to partner with him in bringing the flourishing that he intended from the very beginning to the entire cosmos. And this is a beautiful vision. And this is the closing image of the Bible. The birth pains are over. The dark present evil age has come to a close and has led to a dawning of a new age where Jesus reigns in perfect peace. And this is beautiful. So there's so many more symbols and images throughout the book of Revelation. I have, uh, I, we, we could take much more time to get into it, but we need to trace the character and the vision of Jesus throughout it because that's what the book tells us it's about. And so this is how we look at the, the, the end of days. You say, well, Jesus has made some very specific promises to us. This is who the revealed Jesus is in the midst of all of it. And then there's all kinds of invitation all throughout the book of Revelation. In fact, one of the early verses of Revelation says to do the words of the book. And this is yet another reason why I sort of like have a hard time with the whole like, uh, preterist, predictive, kind of chain of events kind of a thing, which is how most of us, including myself, grew up reading the book of Revelation, because you can't do end times events, but you can obey the Lamb. And that's what all of the invitations in the scripture around Revelation are about, obeying the Lamb, following the Lamb into the new creation. Following the Lamb into the new creation. And uh, so that, those correlate with the four visions of Jesus, by the way. Follow the Lamb into the new creation, the four visions of Jesus, that we would be a faithful witness. Jesus is the true faithful witness. He's resisting evil, emerging through tribulation on the other side, completely and totally faithful, pure, righteous, holy. And that is the invitation for you and me, that we would do the same. And that involves resisting evil. It involves resisting evil. Again, um, this is about, obviously, your personal holiness, but it's also about resisting the things in the world that the Lord hates. Jesus did this, and we're meant to do it too. So again, that's not the fire with fire way. The way that we sort of tend to resist evil is more sort of broken evil means, but the way that Jesus did it was through self-giving love, right? There's this nonviolent uh, uh, approach that Jesus has, and it has this strange power to completely change the world. Um, and this is what has been called like faithful, like cruciform discipleship. Cruciform discipleship, meaning uh, that our discipleship to Jesus is in a cross shape. Our discipleship to Jesus is cross-shaped. The same way that he has called us, or excuse me, the same way that he has saved us is the same way that we are meant to live. Which, of course, means being like the lamb. Willingly laying our lives down for sister and brother. Um, if you're taking notes, write this down. Revelation 12, verse 11. I'm having a hard time connecting this to the story of Revelation. Here it is. The tr they triumph, talking about the people of God, over him. That is the image of the dark power from, from Revelation. They triumphed over him by what? The blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, they were giving everything and all that they were to follow the lamb into the new creation. Number two, it means attentive listening. If Jesus is the present one, if he's the present one, 
then we need to be attentive at listening to him. Uh, verse 3 of Revelation 1 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. In other words, if Jesus is here and he's communing with his people and he's giving us direction and encouragement and hope and challenge and power from his spirit, we need to be attentive to that voice. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that my sheep know me and that he know my voice. And so we need to be the kinds of people who are attentive to the voice of God. Many ways we do that, of course, immersing ourselves in the story of the scripture, but also just spending time alone in the quiet with God. This week we started, um, was it this week? Yeah, I think this week we started homeschool with my uh, third grade daughter. And she's been in public school her whole life. And uh, it's been great, but now we're homeschooling because we didn't know what was going to happen with COVID and all that. Happy with our choice. First week, um, Grace, my wife, is sort of getting ready to prepare the whole day for Isabel. And I have the first responsibility, which is to pull her and my son Judah, who's three, just turned three, uh, to the kitchen table. And we spend some time in prayer and in some scripture memorization and all of that. And these last five days, I've absolutely loved the moments we've had. We just say, hey, sweetie, we're going to talk to God right now. And we're going to ask him to speak. Because remember, conversation is we speak and he speaks. So we're just going to listen. And we just say, come Holy Spirit. And we talk about what we feel like the Lord is saying through the scripture and all the rest. I would just encourage you, if that's not a part of your practice, listening prayer is not a part of your practice, I highly, highly encourage that you spend time alone in the scripture, or excuse me, alone in the scripture and also just like quiet in the quiet with God and pray one of the most ancient prayers uh, from the history of the church. Um, it's just the Orthodox Church from, uh, from the Greek Orthodox Church, you know, sort of authored this initial prayer of come Holy Spirit. Just welcome the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to do that at the end today too. Number three, live a life of worship. So this is how we respond. Respond we respond uh, in many ways. We respond by uh, becoming the faithful witness, mirroring Jesus' revelation, who he is, attentive listening, a life of worship. We didn't get into this because we sort of ran out of time. Obviously, there's way more we could say. Um, but a major theme throughout all of Revelation is, uh, is, is, is singing, is worship. It's It's praise. You've got images of the people, uh, the, the creatures and the heavenly host and, and the people of God encircling the throne and chanting, singing, holy, holy, holy. And then they get to another point when the lamb is revealed in chapter five and they're singing a new song. They're like, oh, shoot, let's come up with a new song. And then they're praising the name of God. And it says that all of creation joins in that song. And so this is actually what we, we, we live in response to what Jesus has said and who he's revealed, revealed himself to be, and we live this life of worship. And that, of course, means singing, but it means so much more than that, which we don't have time for. The last thing, and I'll leave you with this, is it, we need to have a missional hope. This is how we respond. We respond by having a missional hope. And by that, I mean definitely not a missional fear. You see, most readings of the end of the age sort of scriptures, the apocalyptic scriptures that we're used to reading in this way, it, oftentimes it produces fear. Like the woman that I was telling you about, I, I, I met at Cavista this week, and so many more. And please don't hear any judgment from me uh, on, on any of that. I understand if this, what's going on in the world around us sort of invokes a bit of fear. But when we go to the scripture and we get the revelation of God, it shouldn't produce fear. If it's producing fear, we somehow missed the boat. Does that make sense? Because remember, the, the scripture says at the very end of it, which I'm going to read here in a second, the spirit and the bride say, come. The way that we read a lot of revelation is we go, gosh, I hope that that doesn't come in my lifetime. Something's wrong if that's our conclusion. But that's what I hear all the time. In fact, we have a 5K for charity here in Bend that's called Heaven Can Wait. And yet the scripture here is like literally, no, no, no. The people of Jesus are like his bride who are eagerly awaiting the wedding day and urgently expecting this day to come. Let me read. This is literally the last words in the Bible. Revelation twenty two twelve. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I'll give to each person according to what they have done. I, Jesus, verse 16, 
have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root, I am the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Uh, Verse 20. Yeah, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. In other words, what this means is that if we're reading this right, we wouldn't be so focused on the birth pains and the frightening images that we would want to delay the return of Jesus. Doesn't seem right at all, does it? We actually are captivated by this vision of Jesus. And we long for not the pain and, and, and the hurt of, uh, of the world around us, but what we do long for is for Jesus to like take his throne. Amen? To take his throne. To return. And to, to get on with what the scripture says is our eminent future. And so this is one of the reasons why I want to bring this to you today is because when we read this scripture, when we read the book of Revelation, there's always going to be bits in it that are hard and confusing and difficult to understand. And some of it is jarring and you're going to be confused by it. And that's really okay. But anchor yourselves in the revealing, the unveiling of Jesus for who he really is. And we get to see this beautiful perspective about what is to come. And so what I want to do now is we're going to have some time of response and some time of singing. So Danny, if you would come forward, that'd be awesome. And what we're going to do now is we're just going to respond. I don't know how much of this has hit you. It's difficult for me to tell. You're a ways away. I can't really see you all that clearly. But I don't know about you. I'm sort of fired up about the return of Jesus. And I'm actually in that space where I'm going, gosh, yeah, come on. Like, let's get on with it already. Jesus, would you return? Come quickly. And so what I want to do is just have everyone stand to their feet. We chomped through quite a bit of like biblical literature tonight. And, um, and so I, I understand that there's a lot of scripture that I just shared with you. Hopefully a lot of that made sense. But the main thing is that what we do understand about Jesus, we respond to it. There's no expectation from me or from the Lord especially, that we would understand perfectly, know perfectly. In fact, we're told that we won't until that day that we're singing about. And so we don't need to understand fully, but what we do know and what we do believe, we are meant to respond to it. I hope this gives you courage. I hope this gives you a sense of hope. We actually have something to look forward to, not dread. Look forward to, not dread. So um, let's do this, you guys. Let's, let's welcome the Holy Spirit to just come and be with us tonight. And of course, he's already here, and I'm not going to go into all the ins and outs of this, but Jesus is with us, and his Spirit is in you, empowering you. There's something special about the gathered church. There's something sacred about our time together, especially when we anchor our hope on this unveiling of Jesus, who he really is, that we would say, you know what? I want more of you. I long for more of you. And so if you're comfortable and if you're not, I understand you're not uh, being manipulated here at all. Please don't. Only enter into this as much as you feel comfortable. But if you would, just open your hands with me. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we thank you for revealing Jesus to us. And we're your people. We're your sheep. And you said, Jesus, that we would hear your voice. And so we come with the expectation that you meant what you said. And so here we are. 
just invite you to speak. <laughs> so what we're going to do right now is just imagine. I want you to imagine like John saw. I just want you to imagine the lamb on his throne encircled by the elders and the living creatures whoever those guys are and the heavenly host I'm guessing there's a ton of instruments and then all the people of God I just want you to in your mind's eye, as best you can, just picture that vision. And now what I want is just for us to notice how is that making you feel? Now, I know as I just said that, there is a group of us who have a little bit of cynicism, and everything and so we go what do you mean feel this isn't about an emotional experience necessarily this is about us meeting with and growing in God yes absolutely but these images invoke emotion and it is okay and actually probably right <laughs> for us to break down in tears and to shout aloud and to lift up our hands and our eyes and our prayers to God and just shout with joy. So again, if you're feeling like you're being coerced into something right now, that's not the idea. Please don't feel that. But don't, you don't have to enter in if you're not there yet. But if you are, how is this image of Jesus on his throne? How's that making you feel? Notice how as you breathe in, in a way, the presence of God, just as the oxygen fills your lungs, it's, like the, it's just like that. It's like weight comes off of your shoulders. The joy of God begins to just sort of move in your heart. Just, uh, I don't know if, how you guys feel about this. I don't get words very often, but I just feel like there's a word from the Spirit for someone here tonight, and that is to trust me. This is God saying, trust me. And then closely following that, maybe for you or someone in the room here, that he wants to push the cynicism out of your heart and replace it with pure joy. So you can trust him, friend, friend, please. For your, for your own sake, you can trust him. And the, the cynicism that causes your heart to grow cold, it's like, it's harming you. It's not what's best for you. When you open yourself to the reality of the revealed Jesus who reigns on his throne, fills you with his joy. So I just want to pray joy over my friends tonight. <laughs> so Jesus, I just pray joy over these people over here and these people over here and these people over here. In Jesus' name, I just pray that we receive more of your joy. More of your joy, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus said, my joy will be in you. Your joy... Um, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that it might be complete. 